Have you ever been hurt by someone, but then ended up blaming yourself and kind of convincing yourself that you were deserving of it? Or you just kind of get stuck in a loop where you feel like mistakes that you've made meant that you deserved or you earned the bad things that happened to you and that God is angry at you. He's disappointed in you and he's punishing you and he's judging you and he's distant from you. And you have trouble kind of deciphering the difference between your own sin or mistakes that you've made and other people's sin that has impacted you negatively. And it just kind of becomes this dark hole that you fall into. That is what I talk about today with our guest, Monica Zuniga Bailey. She is phenomenal. And she shared with us um, just the story of a really long, dark, dark season that she was in when she felt very distant from God and um, was struggling with all of those things that I just mentioned. I know that you're really going to enjoy this conversation that I had with her. She says some really incredible things. Um, just a trigger warning for those of you um, that have might have little kids in the car or things like that. We do discuss rape. So if that's a trigger for you, or like I said, if you have little kids nearby, just know that we do discuss that in this episode. I really do encourage you to listen. Monica says some really amazing, thought-provoking things. We discuss purity culture and just a lot of stuff. So definitely stay tuned. Monica, welcome to So What Else. I'm excited to be here, Caitlin. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, of course, of course. Happy to dive into my story a bit more with you guys and just share what the Lord said in my life. Absolutely. So when I first reached out to you a few months ago, you were Monica Zuniga, and now you're Monica Zuniga Bailey, right? That's right. I just got married a couple months, like two months, uh, two months ago tomorrow. So oh, that's yes. so nice. Yeah. Uh, tell great. me everything. So, so where did you guys get married? We got married near my hometown. So I'm mm-hmm. a small town Texas girl. Shout out to those out there that are listening. Any small town girls where there's more farm animals than people. That's <laughs> kind of my roots. Um, and right outside of my hometown, there's a huge state park. It's the second largest canyon to the Grand Canyon. And so it's called Paladuro Canyon. Aww. And we wanted, you know, we had a lot of ideas and plans for our wedding, but with COVID and everything, it's in a better place, but it's never ending at this point. And so we really wanted a really great scenic atmosphere. And so it was totally free to get married there. So if you're ever like thinking about a state park, it's gorgeous. It was free. It was so fun. Um, We did that. And then we had a huge reception in my hometown the next day, which was only about 30 minutes from the canyon. So It was so fun, super fun. I really savored that time. Yeah, Um, I'm 33. My husband's 36. Neither Mm -hmm. of us have ever been married. And we both just had a lot of desires and wishes for that season. And so we really just leaned into that. And Mm -hmm. I had a blast. I'm a DIY bride. I found that out pretty quick. And um, good for you. So much fun. So I loved all of the process. Uh, but I think I love being married more. So yeah, um, it's definitely less stressful. Than uh, let me tell you, I stalked <laughs> your wedding photos on Instagram. Gorgeous. I mean, Thank beyond, you. beyond. And I love how, yeah. so you did your ceremony and then you did your reception the next day. So it's That's like a right. full wedding weekend. Yeah, it was. And I, I have recommended that to so many of my friends who are um, engaged and yes. two of them are doing that now, just because it's, it's a lot on your yes. wedding day to have to see so many people talk to them. It really does go by quickly. Mm-hmm. And so having that time Friday, it was just our immediate families on Friday in the Canyon. So and nice. then we did a rehearsal dinner with our families. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the whole thing on Friday was just a dream. And then Saturday was a blast. We weren't yeah. in a rush. We weren't stressed. We were just having fun and <sighs> we enjoyed our reception. So yeah, I, I love I, that. I had a blast. We loved it. Um, and it was everything we dreamt it would be. So yeah. Tell me uh, about your dresses. So your one dress, yes, you had two, right? I did. Yes. So my mom, my mom's dress, you know, obviously I've seen it my whole life as my mom's right. dress. Um, mm. and my mom was married at 17 and Whoa. my dad was 19. So they were oh, yeah. little children, babies. Yeah. Um, but she was like 95 pounds soaking wet, which I'm not. And, um, but I loved her dress. I always loved it. And so yeah. I, knew I wanted to wear it. And we took it to a seamstress that my mom knew that specializes in doing things like this. Mm -hmm. And 
right off the bat, I was like, if you can't do this, like if I'm too big and my mom's dress is too small, then I'll just go find another dress. But she was so on board and worked Mm. with me and I just got to redesign it. So it was a lot of fun. Wore my mom's dress um, in the Canyon. And then we had a ceremony on Saturday for family and friends that came really far for the wedding. And I wore it for the ceremony, but then for the reception, I had a fun, flirty, really, um, culture I felt, I felt really like Latin in it it was like totally really so um, I got to rock both and yes. I loved that too I mean yeah. no one I guess I had never really thought about planning a wedding until I was engaged and also mm-hmm. my singleness lasted forever it felt like and so once I got to the season of planning I was like this is pretty fun like you can change yeah. outfits and totally you're like yo you can do whatever you want so. absolutely I'm not gonna so, tie yeah. myself down to one look That's I don't right. have to hello so yeah, it was really, that. really fun and was really grateful for everything that happened. And uh, it was it was great. Look back, I'm really thankful. Oh, uh, that's perfect. How'd you meet your husband? So we actually met online. Um, oh, I love it. We met online. I actually um, had just gotten out of a relationship with a friend mm-hmm. of mine that I had been friends with for years and mm-hmm. he wanted a date and it was really rough. It was like we were forcing the relationship mm-hmm. and we were both trying to make it work. And um, I actually had a friend tell me about Paul over lunch. She was like, oh, my friend um, knows this guy. He's really great. And he's, she met him online mm-hmm. and there are really good guys online. And I was very anti-online dating. I felt mm-hmm. like it was moving God's hand. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to take, you know, totally. control of that. Um, but after she mentioned his name, he just kept popping up everywhere. I'd see him on other people's Instagram stories and... That's so like he funny. was a suggested friend. It was like, I kept seeing him everywhere. And I, yeah. I normally probably would have never like gone on a date with him, but like the seed was planted. And totally. so um, I just decided after that relationship, I was like, you know, I was in a place where I was like, Lord, I know I'm ready mm-hmm. to get married. I know that you have this coming for me. Like I was just standing in faith for mm-hmm. that. And I got online and the back of my head thought I might meet this Paul guy. If I don't meet him, maybe I'll meet someone like him. And yeah. He was like the first person I matched with. And some of the photos I had, like he knew some of the people in my photos. We had tons of mutual friends. I really, we both say like to this day, like, I don't know how we did not meet before. Yeah. Um, But that was really God. I think keeping us for For the right time. For the right timing. Yeah. So we met and we met on October 3rd of 2020 and we got married October 15, 2021. So oh, I love that a whirlwind romance. Um, but we both knew and yeah, very when cheesy you know, to you say know. it. Very cheesy to say it, but when you're in it, it's like not cheesy. It's like oh, a hundred percent. You know? So, oh, I agree. Yeah. My husband and I say that all the time too. Like I don't believe in love at first sight, but like with each other, we kind of felt like that. Like we like met and we were like, oh, this is different. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, so I do kind of feel like when you know, you know. Yes. When you know, you know, there's like a knowing, maybe yes. not like the infatuation, even right. though that is part of those early stages, you know, right. but there is this sense of like, you said something different and knowing in your spirit. And then as you keep going, you're like, okay. Yes. So we are, he definitely is God's best for me and who God chose for me. And yeah. um, it was, I was, I was discouraged in my singleness for a long time, but mm-hmm. I've gotten I had gotten to a place where I was at peace and I'm really Mm -hmm. grateful that that was the stage that I met him in. So that's awesome. I love that. So I know we've already been talking for like forever, but give us a quick for people who are listening that are like, who is this chick? Like, give me a little 30 second intro. Like, who are you? What do you do? Yeah. So I am like a, I, I, I have had such a variety of experience. God's really taken my life down a crazy path. And you guys will hear kind of how that started as we dive more into my story. But yeah. I, at this point in my life, am a full-time consultant and I do mm-hmm. a lot of um, coaching and communicating. And so mm-hmm. what that looks like in my day-to-day is I'm, I work with a variety of clients. Most of my clients are people in ministry who you might've heard of or know or have big mm-hmm. followings. And I consult them, whether it's through writing content for them or coaching them on how to show up well or how to speak mm-hmm. at an event, um, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And um, just through life circumstances, God's really opened the door for me as well through my own story, as well as 
um, just doors that he's opened for me to also do speaking and communicating. So I do things like this. I speak at events, uh, mm-hmm. women's events mostly, mm-hmm. or I'll be at a church and speak on a Sunday. It just really depends on the doors that God, God opened. So yeah. uh, my, my passion and truly my heart is really creating a safe place for people to um, talk about anything and everything, like nothing's mm-hmm. off the table. And mm-hmm. Um, and part of, you know, my upbringing was feeling like there wasn't a safe place for that. And, mm-hmm. and being in the church, um, growing up and even in my adult years, it was hard to find a safe place to be vulnerable about yeah. life and the hard things that happen. And so totally. I have a huge passion for that. And I have a huge passion for, um, women and diverse women in the evangelical space, just opening doors for that, empowering them and mm-hmm. being a voice in that space as well. So that's a short version of who I am and yeah I work full time for myself and from yeah. home and that's amazing get to get to pursue these things and it's been a really get a good gift but it definitely took years to get here you know yeah um, oh absolutely I'm to sure. be where, where I'm at now that's awesome that's so cool mm. so I heard your story I guess probably back over the summer on another podcast and I was really impacted by it drawn to it I felt like you your story was just very, not only interesting, but your journey through it and the things that you said about it, I was really, really drawn to. Um, so kind of take us back, like, tell me, I know you grew up in a Christian home, kind of take us through that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, my parents, like I said earlier, were married very young and Mm -hmm. they came to salvation when my mom was 20 and my dad was 22. So they didn't grow up in the faith. They did grow up around some Catholicism, like most Latin culture, but no real like intimate relationship with God. And so um, when they became Christians, their goal was like to teach us the word of God. And so mm-hmm. part of that was putting us in a private Christian school, okay. um, which was, you know, had its ups and downs, but growing up in a very small town, Texas, um, which you can imagine small town, all of the, there are pros and cons to both. But one of the things that came out of that was a high spirit of religion. Yeah. And so growing up in the church environment for me meant saving yourself till marriage. And that's like the highest thing you can give God uh, was, you know, never drinking, you know, never Mm -hmm. doing drugs. You know, I was known as like little miss goody two shoes in my hometown. Cause you know, small town as well, like adults are buying alcohol for teenagers to party on the weekends. Totally. I was never in that environment, you know, never had a boyfriend, Mm -hmm. had barely been kissed. You know, I was like, Little Miss Perfect Christian Girl growing totally. up. Totally, yes. Um, and, you know, a lot of that, I, I found I had a lot of identity in performance. And mm-hmm. I think that was part of my home upbringing, but also part of the environment in the church that I was in where I found the more I performed, the the best that I was, the more attention I got. And um, I really equated that to God. Like my yeah. view of God was if I am perfect and good and righteous and do everything right, then God's going to bless me mm-hmm. with like everything I can imagine. So instead mm-hmm. of having a faith that was rooted in the gospel and mm-hmm. grace, my faith really, my foundation of my faith, which was not my fault, my parents' fault, anyone's fault. I believe my parents, I look back, my parents did the best they could, but my my faith was rooted in works in every way. Yeah. And so um, I, I was very driven by mm-hmm. success and mm-hmm. I came to Dallas for college on a full scholarship to run cross country and track. So I was like, your prime, you know, and I'm an Enneagram three. I'm, I was was just going to ask, you know, like that was me all my childhood and into adulthood. I've, I've done a lot of healing in that, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I came to school on a full ride and, um, it really was just through life happening and life experiences that I started to recognize and, I can look back and clearly see like, oh, I had a really skewed view of God. Mm-hmm. But in the moment it was like, you know, why are bad things happening to me? Because I'm doing everything right, God. Like totally. I'm I'm obeying you. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't messed up in this area. But my view of God also was like, if I sinned and did something that I knew was wrong, then God was going to punish me. Like yeah. mm-hmm. I didn't have a proper view of the righteousness of God Mm -hmm. and the fullness of who he was. My view was that he was um, angry at me anytime Mm -hmm. I messed up or failed um, and that he demanded perfection from me. So Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of my, I would say my background of faith. Um, I have a really healthy, stable home life and Mm -hmm. my parents never treated me that way. And Mm -hmm. 
they were very strict and hard on us and really wanted us to be the absolute best, Mm -hmm. but they were also quick to say they were sorry. And, you know, I, I'm not, I can really only accredit my view of God to my own like sinful nature, as well as my experience in the church that really Mm -hmm. I was, I was taught, you know, to be afraid of God, you know, Mm -hmm. um, more so than like, you can come to him as a father and he'll, you can, you can approach the throne room of grace, you know, mm-hmm. and with yeah. confidence, um, totally. it was more like, um, you need to be afraid of God because if you don't do what he says, yes, you know, I relate to that so much, yeah. so much. And like, I, it's funny because like I grew up as a pastor's kid. And so people, I think sometimes assume like, oh, well, if you grow up as a pastor's kid, like you're definitely screwed up. But I'm like, no, like my parents didn't put any unrealistic expectations on me. The church I grew up in didn't put unrealistic unrealistic expectations on me, like very healthy upbringing, church life, the whole nine yards. But still like I'm an Enneagram one, so I'm a perfectionist. Mm. So for me, it was like, I'm going to do everything right. People will praise me, tell me that yeah. I'm good. Like this is who I am. And so yeah, like you kind of subconsciously, especially when mm-hmm. you grow up in that church environment, can sometimes yeah. just kind of take on these assumptions about God or about your own identity and whatever that no one told you that necessarily. Yeah. It was just kind of like the way you felt about it for whatever reason, yes. you know, like yeah. whether it be like a birth order thing or like an Enneagram number thing or whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever factors were at play, you just kind of took that on, Balanced you know? That. Yeah. I think as yeah. a child, if you're receiving positive affirmation for something you're doing, you start to do that more. Totally. So like for me, it was, um, oh, if I'm performing like really well in mm-hmm. this area, whether it be athletics or it be, um, you know, with Awanas with, you know, sure. memorizing yep. scripture or any of those things, I was like, okay, I'm getting positive affirmation. I'm like, I'm going to keep doing this, you mm-hmm. know, or if it was like, having all the answers when the questions were asked, you know, Mm -hmm. um, my identity started to take form in this performance. And um, I think, you know, for you as a pastor's kid, it could have been like, oh, if I'm perfect and I'm getting positive affirmation for this, like I'm going to keep doing that. I think it's just in our natural human nature. And that then shapes our view of God and then our view of faith and how we live that out. So I can look back and say my view of who God was of the gospel of my identity in him was very skewed. Um, Mm but I had no idea it was skewed. I totally. thought it's normal. You yeah. Know? I thought this is how all people of faith operated. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. All right. So then you went to Dallas Baptist for college and then you, mm-hmm. after you graduated, you stayed on to get your master's, right? Or you were working on campus. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I stayed on. Um, I had a redshirt year of running. And so I stayed on to get my master's to run that final year. Mm-hmm. And my identity again was in performance and running mm-hmm. and, I, um, basically before the season started, had a pretty severe injury from overtraining Mm. and was not able to compete. And my coach was just frustrated and upset at me and just said some hurtful things. And it just like killed me. I was like, my identity is in this. And Mm -hmm. he basically was like, you're useless. Don't even bother coming back. Like you're not going to recover for the season. And so I was in a low place already, but I decided I'm here. I'm I'm already enrolled in classes. I've got to finish out the semester at least. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I had like my first real serious boyfriend Mm -hmm. and um, he had a call to ministry on his life and the relationship was going great. And I really felt, you know, in my heart, I'm like 22 at this point. And I always thought I'd get married super young. And um, I really felt like God told me like, this is your husband, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. And um, long story short, he broke up with me one day. Like he just came to campus um, and was like, Hey, God's just telling me I need to end this relationship. And we both had had clear words from God at the same time on multiple levels. So when he said that, I was like, well, I'm going to trust you. And, um, I like had so much confidence that he was my husband that I was like, I'm not even phased by it. I didn't even cry. I was like, he'll come back. Like God, whatever mm-hmm. God needs to do with him, like it's going to be totally fine. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm on this low of like not running cause I'm mm-hmm. injured just gotten broken up with. And, um, I essentially like this guy fell off the face of the earth, changed his number, dropped out of school. I couldn't get a hold of him. So I had no closure as to what happened at the time. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird circumstances. And I, this is where I started to really have these thoughts of like, 
what, like what happened, God? Like, yeah. why'd you do this to me? Like, I've been perfect. Like I've done mm-hmm. everything you've asked of me. Like I go to church every week. I have every scripture memorized. I spend time with you every day. Like I'm a virgin. Like mm-hmm. I yeah. was going through all these things, just so hurt. And um, I had a roommate who just was of the world and super sweet girl. We're mm-hmm. still friends to this day. I love her to death, but she was like very into partying and going out. And mm-hmm. at this time, you know, I'm 22. I lived in Dallas. I didn't live on campus. And I think she just saw me feeling really hurt. And like, the only thing she knew to do was be like, Hey, come out with me. Like, let's mm. go to the club and let's yeah. go get drinks. Let's get dressed up. And I had never really drank at that mm. point in my life. I um, took a lot of pride in that as well, because yeah. I was one of those Christians who was like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do this. And so yeah. I just fell into this cycle of partying and drinking every weekend with her I mean, I, I would have been running at the time, but my season was ended. Mm -hmm. I was newly single and I quickly found this escape in alcohol that like just numbed all the pain. I didn't have to deal with what was going on. I didn't know how to process it or deal with it. Yeah. And I remember truly feeling like I'm invincible. Yeah. Like I can go out and drink, but I won't get, uh, I won't get in trouble. Nothing's going to happen to me. And I found myself like testing the boundaries because I was angry at God and bitter and was like, what is God going to do? Like he did this. I really blamed God for what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have a right view of him. And that ultimately led to one night. I, um, I I know I was roofied or drugged of some kind and I'm by myself in a guy's house. I'm coming in and out of consciousness and he's taking my clothes off and I'm, Mm. 22, a virgin, um, and coming to this reality of what's happening. And I just remember telling him like, Hey, I'm a virgin. Like, please don't do this. Um, first I was calling for my friends. No one was around. This is like before the age of Uber, like things that just didn't exist. And I didn't have my phone. I couldn't find it. Like I didn't have my stuff on me. And, um, he basically was like, laughing in my face and was like, this is going to happen, you know, whether you like it or not. And, um, I just remember like, I really blacked that out, but I know like he did rape me and I, he didn't take me home. He like wanted me to stay the night and I had no way of getting home. So I remember just going into the bathroom slash like kitchen area and just sitting on the floor and my first initial thought, because I had this view of God was, this is your fault. Like Mm. you chose to medicate through alcohol. Like Mm. God's mad at you. He punished you. Mm. Like like you you got what you had coming to you for acting, for partying and whatever. Yeah. My thoughts immediately went to that and I felt so much shame. And, um, I slept on the couch and the next day, like he took me home. He was trying to have sex with me again the next day. And I was like, I'm not effing doing this. And I'm a very like strong personality and dominant person. And so that next day I was like, you're taking me home. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and he did take me home and we got to my apartment and I just stood in front of the door for what felt like an eternity. And I said to myself, like, I'm not going to tell anyone (sighs) because I wanted to also keep up the appearance of who I was. Yeah. This, you know, perfect girl. And I, So I just held everything in. I held that secret in. I held in the pain of that breakup. I held in the pain of not being able to run and Mm. all of these different things. And as a young, like 22-year-old girl, it really ate me from the inside out. And for the next really two and a half years, almost three years, I lived in this cycle of um, numbing the pain through alcohol. Mm. And I just went down a very dark hole Mm. and... Um, there were times when I felt like, you know, God detests me, like he Mm. hates me and he wants nothing to do with me. And I remember I would pray and be like, God, if you can just bring me a good guy, like he doesn't even have to be a great guy. Um, because I didn't think my value because I had messed up was worth Mm. a godly man. Like I really had this effed up view, like just really horrible view of who God was, who I was in light of that. And after that experience, I just lived in this darkness. And so, um, yeah, for two and a half years, it was a really dark time and hard time. And 
I, I did not surround myself with the best people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I mean, it was difficult on the inside, but on the outside, I ended up dropping out of my master's. I got a Mm -hmm. corporate job and I was making six figures within a year. Mm -hmm. So like outwardly, I'm still performing outwardly. Mm -hmm. I'm still successful. Like outwardly, I am still number one, but inwardly, like I'm nothing. And so the scriptures that says like to gain the world, but lose your soul. Like I really felt that on levels of like, I still had this desire to prove like who I was and my value and my worth through performance. And I felt like I had to do it even more because I had messed up. And I did gain a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, monetarily and what the world would deem as success. But internally Mm -hmm. I was, um, I was withering away, like, you know, day by day. So, okay. So you keep saying like, I had messed up. I had messed up. So Mm -hmm. did you feel like I messed up because like, I'm not a virgin anymore? Like, is that what, like, and so do you, how long did it take you to kind of like acknowledge like, oh, I was raped. Like how long did it take you to get there? I think, man, I think I always, I always knew I was raped. Like that was never a question in my mind. Okay. Um, I knew what rape was in that moment. I knew I was getting raped. Like there was no getting around that. Yes. Instead of like, I think I was in denial that that happened to me. I focused more on, uh, I think because I was a Christian and how I grew up in the church, my focus, instead of looking at the reality of like, you were raped, that's wrong. I looked at the choices I made leading up to the rape. Okay. And I fixated on that. And I think it was also the enemy. Like I truly had in my head, like on a, on a record player over and over, like the words that said to me, like, you did this, Mm -hmm. like you put yourself in this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, yeah, this happened to you, but it was because of you. Mm -hmm. If you wouldn't have been drinking, if you wouldn't have been partying, if you wouldn't have thought you were invincible, like all of these different thoughts and narratives that Mm -hmm. really made me feel like I was the problem and not the other way around. Although mm-hmm. like I can look back now, obviously, and, and see clearly, but I would say like things really started to shift for me. Um, when I kind of had a, a breaking point and I share this in my story all the time, but mm-hmm. it was, um, in 2013 in July. And mm-hmm. I had just come off of like two back-to-back weekends of partying. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had lost the key to my house. So I had to like call a locksmith that morning to come mm-hmm. change the locks on my house to get a, a new lock. And mm-hmm. I remember like calling the locksmith. It was like on a Sunday. So it was like super pricey mm-hmm. and it's expensive to do that anyway. Yeah. And I remember like calling them and looking at my bank account and seeing all the money in it and sitting on my couch. And I thought to myself, like I have essentially put myself in a position to where I am my own savior. Like Mm. is how I felt because I had worked so hard to gain all this money and success where I felt like I had an out and there was a way for me to hide. Like I lost my key because I'd gotten so drunk, like so blackout drunk, but I lost it. And, and what happened to me on the couch that morning was I realized I have found a way to hide everything that Mm. I'm doing and giving like everyone this perception that I'm still good girl Mm-hmm. Because I have the money and the means and I work hard enough during the week to make myself feel worthy, like mm-hmm. even though I'm not. And I don't know what it was about that, but it was like a breaking point where I realized this is not it. Like I'm miserable. And yeah, I truly felt like God hated me. And so that day on the couch, I just said to him, I was like, God, if if you're real, like, and if you love me at all, like I need you to speak to me. Mm-hmm. I need you to do something because mm-hmm. I cannot do this. And, um, you know, I had, I had, I had gone to church a couple of times in this time and I mm-hmm. had prayed here and there, but I had never really felt God's presence. Mm-hmm. And although I grew up, you know, in a legalistic way, I knew what God's presence felt like. Mm-hmm. And, um, on the couch that day, I just felt like the rush of God's presence, like overcome me. Yeah. And I just felt the Lord say to me, like, look up your name. Mm-hmm. And so, I looked at Monica, it means alone, only one, mono, you know, mm-hmm. and 
I like immediately broke down crying because I was like, I have felt alone. Like, because I was living, it wasn't just the secret and the shame of the rape. It was like my lifestyle that I also hid for years that I thought I was hiding from people to keep up a perfect image. And from family, from friends, from like people who knew me from years ago, like I tried really hard to upkeep this perfect image, even though I was living in sin, like Mm -hmm. during that time. And so um, I felt isolated and alone because I felt like no one really knew me mm-hmm. or like knew what was going on. Yeah. And then I felt the Lord say, you know, look up your middle name, which is Amanda, and mm-hmm. it means worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really in that moment where I felt the Lord just overcome me and say to me, like, you're worthy of my love. Like, mm-hmm. I do not care what you've done. Mm-hmm. Like, I love you anyway. Mm-hmm. And I truly did not feel the love of God. Like, Mm-hmm. over my life until that moment. And mm-hmm. so once that happened, like that day was the day I was like, okay, I'm going to truly follow you. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to live this double life anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start to really pursue you, God. And mm-hmm. I would say like in that, I-, I started getting counseling. I started really getting help mm-hmm. and started really just taking the time to do the hard work that I needed to do to heal and move on because I knew I needed to. and. Mm-hmm. Once I started taking those steps, mm-hmm. that's when I started to see clearly and be able to separate like my own sin versus like sin that was done to me against my yes. will. And yes. those are two different things. Whereas I combine them into one. Yes. Like, like my sin of over drinking a mm-hmm. lot during that season was not the same as the sin of me being raped. Yes. Um, those were two different things. So I would say it was probably like almost three years later, but I really was able to clearly see that and understand that. Yeah. Do you think that being raised in like a purity culture, like, you know, because we're like the same age, so we grew up at the same time. Do you think that that impacted your view of the whole situation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think too, like, I I don't say this a lot on the podcast, but my sister was a teen mom. Like she, um, she got pregnant at 16 out of wedlock, Mm -hmm. um, and kept the baby. I mean, our family is very, um, pro keeping the baby and, Mm -hmm. um, and she, you know, I, I saw that I was 13 when that happened. So I think it was the purity culture and the combination of like, I will not do that, you know, like, Uh um, and, you know, I've had friends that it happened to in high school, like small town, it happens. Um, and I'd seen that, but I was, I had a lot of pride. So for me, I think it was like the purity culture and my own sense of pride of like, yeah. I cannot do that. Like, I will not do that. Um, yep. And again, my performance based mentality mm-hmm. was I had the mindset of like, my, I, I mean, at the time I saw my parents like deal with that, have shock and be sad. Obviously now, like, it's like the best gift we could have ever asked for. And everyone in our family feels no way about it. Like it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. But at the time as a 13 year old girl, I saw that. And I think it really put within me this like performance of like, I will not do that. And so I think I, it was the purity culture combined with just my own life experiences that made me idolize my virginity. And so I think in losing my virginity, it was like losing a part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Because I I have journal entries that I've gone back and read. And I remember writing like, um, now I have nothing to give God mm. or my husband. Like I have nothing else left to give. So what's the point, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that mindset, like I know the church taught me, like this is the gift you give your husband. Yes. Which is like not true. Like I'm <laughs> yes. sorry, it's just not. Right. And like the gift you give God. So I, I definitely... No, it was a combination, but I think when it comes to my view of God, what I grew up in, in the purity culture, we all had purity rings. I mean, my parents bought me Same. one. It was the whole thing. So mm-hmm. I think that really did do a number on me. Totally. Like it, it made yes. me feel like I messed up. Totally. Like, I feel like it's so confusing. Like, you know, and so for people who are listening to this and you're like, what's purity culture? Like, basically, like in... Christian circles, evangelical circles, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. we hold to the belief that it's ideal to save sex for marriage. And that's like practically, 
you know, like a wonderful thing because it's like, hello, like less likely to get STDs and pregnant and all those things, but also like a beautiful thing to save that, right? Like, and to have that Mm -hmm. intimate experience only with this one person. And that is beautiful, you know, and that's, you know, a wonderful thing. And that's my hope for my daughters and all of that. But sometimes Mm -hmm. in Christian circles, it gets elevated to this like, this is who you are. You're a virgin. And like, if you're not, yikes, like, oh boy. And like you said, it's like this, it's always like, this is your gift for your husband. And if, if you're Mm -hmm. not a virgin, then like, you don't have that gift to give your husband and it can get like really screwed up in your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially if like, I think too, for me, like I didn't grow up like the popular girl that all the guys dated. Like I never had boyfriends. I was never like, I was not, I never had like confidence or identity issues, Mm -hmm. but when it came to boys, I never had a lot of pursuit in my, in my upbringing. Mm -hmm. So in my college years as well, like never got asked on dates. Like the one boyfriend I have, that's why it crushed me because it was like first boyfriend ever. Yeah. So for me, I placed so much identity in that because I was like, this is the one thing I can get. Like, Mm-hmm. I've got to like save this. I've got to do everything I can to guard it with my wife. And I think um, I, I look back now and I've, you know, had a lot of opportunity to do a lot of reframing around that uh, narrative about um, purity culture and about saving yourself from marriage. And at that time, I know there were girls in the youth group who like were being sexually abused by someone mm. against their will. And I can't imagine now on this side of it, having gone through what I've gone through, if I went through that at a younger age and hearing at church, like, this is all you have to offer. Like that would mess me up. Like, I don't know how I could move forward in that. And instead of really addressing like what it looks like to live with sexual integrity, despite what may have happened to you or what choices you've made, Mm -hmm. like honoring your God with your sexuality is so such a different narrative than don't have sex until you're married and save Absolutely. yourself. Like, it's just, yeah, it's, I can look back and like, it's mind blowing that the church taught this and that some churches still do teach this. Yeah. Um, but I do think a huge part of like my testimony, who I am and my relationship with God and what I do now and my passions was birthed out of me really relearning and reshaping and having a right view of who God is. And, yeah. um, I, I'm grateful for the experiences I've had, but I also, in the same breath, like we'll never tell my kids that, you know, um, totally. And we'll do my, my best to teach them what it looks like to live with integrity in every, every area of their life, including their sexuality. So, yeah, absolutely. I love how you said that, like just the reframing of it. So it's not like we're saying like, throw it out, like flush that down the toilet and everyone just like go have sex with everyone. And it's fine. It's just the reframing of the way that it's communicated, the way that it's taught and, Mm -hmm. and like, why it's important and why it's not. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want my daughters thinking like, you have to stay a virgin because like, that's what you have to give. Like, no, thank you. That's Mm -hmm. not what we want to be teaching our daughters, you know? Totally, yeah. And I mean, I know like the intimacy you have through sex is so different than Mm -hmm. any other intimacy you can give to a relationship with a partner but I think it's really, if someone would have told me that versus like, just don't have sex, you know, then totally. I would have been like, oh, that's interesting. Like, tell me more about that intimacy. Like, why is it so different? Why is it so special? And so I think it's, um, I think it's just interesting how these narratives mm-hmm. shape so much of our identities. Mm-hmm. And when you're young, you just, I mean, for someone like a one and a three on the Enneagram, you're like, yep. I'm going to do that. You yeah. Know? That's the <laughs> rule. So I'm going to follow the rule. Yeah, exactly. And for other personalities, they're like, that's the rule. I'm going to break it. And so it's just very interesting um, how I think that played out. But, but yeah, I would say for me, it really did take a lot of counseling, a lot of, you know, people in the church just really pouring into me and speaking truth over, over my life and Mm -hmm. helping me really learn how to separate those things. And then come to this place of understanding that, um, God doesn't look at me and be like, you're awesome because you made it 22 years. Um, you know, like, I, and and I'm going to bless you in X, Y, and Z area. Like, totally. I think I really had to recognize and see that like God's desire and plan when he, when he made and created me was not for me to go through what I went through, mm-hmm. not just with the rape, but through my own self, um, self-harm through alcohol abuse. Like that mm-hmm. wasn't his desire, but mm-hmm. God 
knows that like we live in a broken fallen world and sin is a part of that. And my flesh will run to anything but him Yeah. when I don't have a right view of him. And Mm -hmm. that's what the alcohol abuse. And he also knows that like there are broken people in the world and it's all over scripture where, where people are taken advantage of because of someone else's sin and they're affected because of that someone else's sin. It has a ripple effect. And in all of that, God still redeems it and Mm -hmm. uses it and says to us, like your value is not in what you do or what's done to you. And learning how to one, forgive myself for my choices, but then two, forgive the people that have sinned against me. And um, being able to differentiate what those things were was truly a game changer. And mm-hmm. my view of myself and God's view of me. Mm-hmm. And because I know like I would have never done it, you know, mm-hmm. otherwise, but I also don't think I would have fully understood what purity means if yes. it didn't happen. Totally. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, if someone's out there who's gone through something like this, whether it's mm-hmm. any sort of sexual abuse or um, even physical abuse, mm-hmm. anything that's happened to you that you didn't bring upon yourself, like mm-hmm. that's sin in the world and that's affecting you. Mm-hmm. And um, even if you were arguing with your partner before they hit you, like yes. you did, you were not the cause. Like mm-hmm. your, your sin may be of yelling too loud, let's say, but you did not invoke or deserve that, you know? Totally. And in the yes. same way of sexual abuse, like, there's nothing you did mm-hmm. to deserve that. That's someone else's flesh and sin having an effect on you. And so mm-hmm. for me, that was like just the biggest game changer in my faith yeah. and how I viewed sin, sinful nature of man and yeah. how to really reconcile what I've been through and what's happened to me. Yeah. How are you able to kind of start shifting? Like you had said at the beginning, um, you just viewed God very much like, okay, like if I sin, he's going to punish me. Like that's the kind of God that he is. How did you start to reframe the way that you looked at God and and the way that he saw you and things like that? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, that was a combination of counseling, but it was mostly the church that I was a part of after everything. In 2014, I started going to a church here in Dallas that just is unbelievable. And Mm -hmm they really discipled me and took me under their, their wing. And I had people pour their lives into mine. And Mm -hmm. I will say that when it came to my view of God, they were really good at asking me hard questions. And when I'd answer, they'd point to scripture and be like, this actually isn't who God is. And this is what God says about you. Like, this is what, this is who God is as a father. This is who God is as a friend. This is who God is in his justice. Like this is who God is as a righteous God. And Mm -hmm. like just really taking the time to educate me and inform me and also give me the space to really encounter God in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, like I'm a big advocate of the local church, but I think because of my experience, I'm even more so because Mm -hmm. I saw firsthand how they not only taught me about who God was, but gave me opportunities and experiences to redeem Mm -hmm. my view of myself and show me like, this is who God is. So Mm -hmm. I had felt like I had messed up to the point of where I knew I always wanted to do something in ministry, but I felt like I wasn't good enough where like Mm -hmm. my first speaking opportunities were at the church, you know? Yeah. And they were the ones who taught me and gave me the space and the platform and have poured into so much of what I'm doing and opened doors for me. And they were a picture of God redeeming that and saying like, no matter what you've done, that doesn't determine your value or worth and mm-hmm. who you are and what I have over your life. And mm-hmm. so I would say it really was those people, but I also just genuinely took time to read the word again, mm-hmm. like with fresh eyes and from front to end and really ask myself the questions, you know, what does this passage of scripture say about man? Like mm-hmm. the character of man, what does it say about the character of God? And, and what does that mean? Like for mm-hmm. me, like between those two things and just really um, allowing myself to have the space mm-hmm. to encounter the, that person of God. And so um, it was a combination. There were several things counselors gave me homework to do, but mm-hmm. I would really say when it came to my view of God, it was those people in my life from my church that really took the time and saw me like mm-hmm. for where I was at and 
really helped me reframe my mindset yeah. in, many, in many ways. So, yeah. When did you first share publicly about your story and like, how did that come about and how did that feel for you to share it publicly? Yeah. I mean, obviously it was terrifying. Um, so that was like a given, um, (laughs) but my, it was like in 2016 and it was at a singles conference actually. And I didn't share the full gamut of the story, but I Mm -hmm. felt God really put on my heart to share some. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, it was really like the scripture, um, by the word of their testimony, the blood of the lamb, like they will be Mm -hmm. saved. And I had a totally different message planned, but I had no peace about it. And Mm -hmm. God just really through a mentor of mine, like spoke to me and was like, you need to share like your Mm -hmm. testimony. And so I didn't go into detail, but I talked a lot about like sexual sin and correlated it with the life of David and Mm -hmm. shared that like we mess up, you know, like whether it's done against us or against other people, but we're not like, we're not too far gone that God can't redeem it or use us like mm-hmm. to still make an impact for generations. And, um, at the end of the message, the pastor like came up and did kind of like an altar call for people to, who resonated with what I shared and to really, um, just repent and believe that God could use them mm-hmm. in spite of their own sexual past and sin. And, um, he had people stand up and it was like 90% of the audience that mm. stood up. Yeah, And like a line of women and men after just coming to talk to me. And it was one of the first times in that church that anyone had ever talked about mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and spoke about the reality of sexual sin affecting our view of God and our yes. purpose. And, um, and after that moment, it was a huge like light bulb moment for me that made mm-hmm. me recognize that like secrets keep us sick mm-hmm. and the more we share the Mm -hmm. less power they have over us. And I think because I had lived in secrecy for that so long Mm -hmm. after the rape, I, once I shared that first time, I was like, I'm going to keep doing this. Like, no matter how hard it is for me, no matter how embarrassed I feel, no matter who is shocked to hear it. Like I remember sobbing before going on stage because there were people in the audience who knew me for years. And I was like, they're going to know that I'm not perfect, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, but there was so much freedom, not just for me, but for other people. So it was definitely difficult. But since then it's just gotten so much, um, so much more natural to allow it to be God's testimony over my life versus Mm -hmm. like what happened to me. And I'm ashamed of it. So. Totally. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And thank you, you know, like for sharing your story because Mm -hmm. it does impact people. And I think that that's so brave and amazing. So once you, we're working through it, you know, and then you began sharing publicly and counseling and you were able to reframe your view of God and yourself and all of that stuff. Once you eventually did meet your husband now, mm-hmm. did any of that stuff play into your relationship with him at all? Oh, for sure. Um, it played a big part because I think there was still a part of me. Um, so after, from like two thousand. 13 to 2016, I didn't date. Okay. And I spent three years really focusing on healing. I had opportunities to date, but I just didn't trust myself, like mm-hmm. for lack of better words. And I had a lot of accountability. And the first guy I dated in 2016, like Christian guy on staff at a church had no moral compass, like pushed me to do things sexually. And so I was jaded, like after yeah, that. Of course. And I was like, I was like, I'm confused. Like, I thought you would not do this. And then you did. And um, I I had basically gotten into this cycle from 2016 on with guys I dated. And I had gotten to a place by like 2019, basically from 2016 to 19, I would date a guy and they'd push me to do things I wasn't comfortable with. We wouldn't have sex, but they'd want to do other things. Sure. And I would eventually do it. And then I'd feel shame. And then I'd end the relationship. Yeah. And So I took time to really heal from that. And like 2019 on, I really hadn't made any mistakes in that. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like very proud of myself in that. Well, when I met my husband, I just, in my spirit was like, I'm going to mess this up. Like I almost wanted to like test him to see if he would give in, if he like, is he really a good guy or is he Mm going to try to make something happen? And 
um, there was one weekend where I really did try to push the boundaries with him. And mm-hmm. it was out of my own insecurity and fear of mm-hmm. him not being like who he said he was. And mm-hmm. um, he, uh, after that, he knew my story. Like he kn- knew what happened to me. Like we had talked in detail about it and um, we were driving. Um, and he said to me that day, like in the car, he was like, I just want you to know that like, we can no matter how long we date like I'm not dating you for your body mm. like we don't ever have to kiss like we don't ever have to do anything you don't have to give any of your body to me for me to pursue you and want to be with you oh. and um it was a I like broke down of and course cried. and um I didn't realize like how how much I thought my identity still was in my sexuality like yeah. for men And, um, and after that, honestly, by God's grace, like purity was not really an issue for us in, Mm -hmm. in dating. Um, and of course, like we, we were a little nervous about how it would affect us in marriage, but we just surrendered that to the Lord, Mm -hmm. prayed about it, talked about it in counseling. Um, and I think because I have felt so safe with him Mm -hmm. from the beginning, like he addressed head on my insecurity and spoke truth to me and Mm -hmm. I believed him, it hasn't affected us in marriage. It just really hasn't. Um, and we are very open in communication and he's Mm -hmm. very gentle and kind in every way. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I think in the beginning, I, if I hadn't, you know, vocalized clearly about my past and if he wasn't sensitive to that and he has friends who are married to women who have gone through similar things that I have, and they were there for him to give him really solid advice and mm-hmm. help coach him through that. And so I think there were multiple factors. Um, mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that I think we did in our relationship that I will just say to everyone in dating was mm-hmm. we had really strong accountability. Yeah. So like if the boundaries were ever pushed physically, like we both would go to friends and confess that sin to them. And yeah. And we both knew we were doing that and we would hold each other accountable to it. And um, if it was like, we had an attitude about something or we're mean to one another, like we also confess that. And so Mm -hmm. I had never been in a relationship where there was such high accountability for anything that we did in our own flesh that Mm -hmm. wasn't out of like a pure heart to pursue one another. And Mm -hmm. so I think that also made a huge difference when it comes to our marriage life, because if we didn't have that accountability and I didn't feel that safe and secure with him, I don't know if we'd be having a harder time. Um, yeah. But it really made a huge difference and he really led in that. And so I think yeah, for girls out there concerns, like the right guy will be sensitive to you and mm-hmm. will lead you in that and will not make you feel like your sexuality is the driving force of the relationship, you know? Totally. I just think that that's so, so many things that you said are, I think are so important. Just even the fact that, you know, even after you had done years of working through, you know, the rape and separating like what was, you know, sin and what was not sin and what was sin that was done to you and all of that and the counseling and and working through it with God and all of that stuff, even still like our past and our crud like can still come back up you know, it can still bubble up and impact our present, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. that that's so interesting that it's like when you got into a relationship with this guy, you found yourself like kind of like back in that place of like, oh, like I I think like this is like what's valuable about me is like my body. And the fact that he's so beautifully, I mean, that is like, that's like brings tears to my eyes. Like how he was just like, Mm -hmm. I don't need that from you. You know, like I just want to pursue you for who you are. You know, and I think and that I that's him. Yeah. totally, and it's like, how good, how cool is God? Like that he brought you a man like that, who knew, who was able to speak, you know, like exactly to what you needed to hear, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I, I just, I know in every way, our story has so many details that are just God things. And yeah, yeah. I know in every way, like Paul was who God had for me all along, mm-hmm. but yeah, I yeah. definitely can look back and I'm grateful that we met when we did because I was in a place where I felt fully healed. And um, yeah, there were things that still come up, insecurities that I still was unsure of and things that made me want to go back to some of the lies I believed. But to be with someone who 
consistently took it back to truth and rooted me in that, I think was a game changer. So I think if you are in a place where you feel like you're ready to date and move forward and Mm -hmm. work through some of that, um, that you've gone through when it comes to any sort of sexual abuse, um, I think it's important for you to really have a good grasp on your identity. Mm -hmm. You're going to have moments where you do question and go back to things, but you need to also be with someone who's very sure in their identity in Christ as well and very mm-hmm. confident in who God is. And in the moments where you are weak, that they not lean into that weakness, but that they be a sh- pillar of strength for you and truth for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think what happened in past relationships was where maybe I had that thought like, oh, my body, I just have to give my body and I'm mm-hmm. feeling weak in that moment. And the guy was weak and he gave into that weakness mm-hmm. with me versus at times you have to be each other's strength and having totally. that balance. Um, and even at times, if you're both weak, having that accountability that's going to hold you accountable is mm-hmm. a game changer because mm-hmm. if you don't, then you're going to just continue to fall down into habitual patterns that are unhealthy. And then it's going to leave you feeling shamed and, you know, just wanting to stay in the dark because you don't want anyone to know. And mm-hmm. I, I think the best thing about our relationship is we just refuse to stay in the dark mm-hmm. and, I, even now in marriage, we don't stay in the dark. And that Mm -hmm. has been the most healing thing for my heart because Mm -hmm. when you are living in a, in the shame of sexual sin and you're keeping it hidden, it eats away at you Mm -hmm. and you don't want that in a relationship or in a marriage Mm -hmm. to, to go into that. So, yeah. Have you found that since you've shared your story publicly so often, do you, do a lot of like women and girls come to you with their stories? Oh Yeah. All the time, um, lots of women who, women from my hometown that I grew mm-hmm. up with, which is like really powerful and um, also just heartbreaking women mm-hmm. that I've never met. Um, lots of women on Instagram who mm-hmm. just are reaching out and wanting to talk. And um, I consistently go back to the same thing. I'm always going to be listening here. I'm always going to give the advice I can, but I think it's so important to find a safe person, yeah. whether they're like in your church or a friend who you know is not going to judge you, but is going Mm -hmm. to love you and meet you where you are. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have a church community that does that, I think that's the best thing to Mm -hmm. do is to really lean into that and connect with that. Um, And then to also find counseling Mm -hmm. um, from that, to take that step. If you have never done any counseling for what you've been through, I think it's really crucial that you do. And if you um, think you need more to step into that, but I genuinely think the best thing is to start by finding a safe person. So you're not holding it in all alone anymore. Like you've got to let it out. And once you start and you do that with a safe person, you trust Mm -hmm. that, you know, is not going to go gossip or harm you, but love you. Mm -hmm. You'll start to experience a bit of that freedom. Mm -hmm. And once you start to experience some, you'll want more and you'll take those right steps to get more and more. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. I can't thank you enough. Truly. Like I appreciate your story so much. I know it's going to help so many people. Um, I just appreciate it more than you know. But before I let you go, tell me a little bit about We Are Unveiled. Yeah. So honestly, we are in a season of transition, but I started the ministry out of my own story. Mm -hmm. And when we launched in 2000, it was 2014 or 15, actually, Um, It was all around stories, just creating Mm -hmm. a safe place for women to share their stories, whatever they've been through Mm -hmm. and meet other women who've gone through it. So Mm -hmm. um, we launched the platform and doing that, shared thousands of stories, hosted events here locally in Dallas. That really is what opened the doors for me to do a lot of the speaking and things Mm -hmm. that I've I've been doing now. But now in this new season, um, I really felt the Lord shifting things in that. And then Mm -hmm. I met Paul, got engaged, got married. And now I'm taking it in a totally different direction. And my heart for the platform now is to really elevate um, and really create unity and diversity. And so um, I actually have a a podcast I've been working on that I'm hoping to launch soon that's centered around conversations with different women of color and their experiences in the evangelical church. And it's just me interviewing them and asking them what their experiences have been. They're Asian, um, Indian, Black mm-hmm. women, Latin women, and just hearing their perspective to create a place where anybody can listen in and learn and grow and gain understanding. And 
Uh, beyond that, my hope is to do more to create more inclusivity and understanding. I just think there's a lot of the division is because there's lack of understanding. And yes, I want to create a space for unity, for understanding, and to also elevate voices that maybe otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to be elevated. So, mm-hmm. um, so the podcast is where we're starting and then we'll see what's to come. I married a videographer awesome. and so we're dreaming Very together useful. about how to, how to, how to put that to use and do other things with that. So yeah, that's where we are now. So if you're a creative, don't ever be afraid to allow God to shift your dream and vision as you shift and grow as well in him. So I love that. So if people follow you on Instagram, will you post every, like when the podcast launches and all that stuff, can they find that there? Absolutely. Yeah. If they follow me, I'm not really posting anything right now, but in the new year I will be. And so if they follow me or at we are in builds, I'll okay. share everything there. Yeah. Perfect. So we will link all of that in the show notes. And that is amazing. Now I didn't prep you for this last question, so I'm sorry, but I do like to no end worries. with what is your favorite snack right now? Oh, my favorite snack right now. I don't, oh, it's that popcorn that it's the black bag, the smart, cheesy popcorn. So good. The last the person that I had on here just said popcorn. So it's like in the air. It is in the air. It's also Love Christmas it. time, you know? Yes. So popcorn's like a Christmas thing. It so. totally is. She said the same thing. And I was like, yeah. you're right. Like, I never really thought of it that way, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love it. Well, Monica, awesome. thank you so much. I love talking yeah. to you. I appreciate your time so much. And we're so excited to see uh, what's to come with We Are Unveiled. Yeah, thanks, Caitlin. Have a great day. You too. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions.